Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. Today on the show, we're going to talk about vulnerable students. All young people deal with pressure and stress in their lives, some that just comes with the territory from just growing up. But certainly two groups of students today are feeling it acutely, children of immigrants and LGBT youth. This week, we talk with experts on how these students are coping and what is being done to support them both in and out of school. Like every week before we tackle our main topic, we open with a topic we call headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Governor Roy Cooper was in Charlotte this week to announce a new teacher pay plan that will be part of his first budget. He's calling for a 10% salary increase for teachers over the next two years without raising taxes. The price tag is $813 million and includes a new teacher supply stipend of $150 per teacher each year to help offset what the governor said are teachers spending money out of their own pockets to buy classroom supplies. The governor says his proposal will take North Carolina's average teacher pay to the top in the southeast in three years and to the national average in five years. One month into the new session of the North Carolina General Assembly, there's a lot more activity in education. The House has unanimously passed a bill to address the K-3 class size issue created by last year's budget that school officials across the state warned could lead to sharp cuts in PE and arts teaching positions. At this time, though, it is unclear if there is support in the Senate for the measure. From a bigger pers picture perspective, the General Assembly continues to debate how to move forward on major changes for how the state funds schools. A recent debate was around the makeup of a task force to review changes, and there are clearly differences in opinion on how quickly to move forward in overhauling the finance structure. Last week's show focused on North Carolina's private school voucher program known as Opportunity Scholarship Program. The day we taped, there was breaking news related to the state's top recipient of voucher money, Trinity Christian School in Fayetteville. An employee at that school was arrested last week on charges of embezzling nearly $400,000 in public tax dollars. Trinity Christian School is the largest recipient of voucher funding. Since the program started, the school has received nearly $1 million in taxpayer-funded school vouchers. We'll keep you updated as the investigation unfolds. Finally, U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos continues to be a lightning rod in her first few weeks on the job. You'll recall there was a scene at a D.C. public school that she visited on her first day where protesters, who we'll show here on the screen, blocked her entrance to the back of the school before she continued on with her tour. Now, when she left that day, she described the school as awesome. But last week, in an interview with a conservative publication, Town Hall, she seemed less impressed, saying the teachers at Jefferson Middle School seemed to be in receive mode and were waiting to be told what they have to do. As you can imagine, that didn't go over really well with the teachers at the school who unleashed what has uh, been called a tweet storm. The school, by the way, is one of the fastest improving schools in D.C. In response to it, the D.C. school chief also weighed in, praising the teachers and the learning at that school. Some of the teachers suggested that perhaps Secretary DeVos needs to be in receive mode herself about what's going on in our country's public schools. Now remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about vulnerable students. The first group we're going to discuss are our immigrant community, largely Latino students. So we have two guests who are going to help us out with that today. We have first, we have Eliezer Posada. Eliezer, 
um, Eleazar is the youth coordinator with El Centro Hispano, and we have Brenda Elliott, who is the assistant superintendent for student support services with Wake County Public Schools. Thanks so much for being here, both of you. Thank, Thank you. For you. Us. All right, Eliezer, I want to start with you um, uh, to sort of get a big picture. Obviously, immigration, mm -hmm. immigration policy has been a pretty hot political topic for many years, but particularly in the last year, the last few months, mm -hmm. the presidential campaign, now the, uh, the, the travel ban, the enforcement action. I guess give me a little bit of a big picture from your perspective as a, uh, uh, you know, working with a uh, uh, Latino support organization. What's the mood um, in the community? It's, um, they're afraid. Most of our community is very afraid of what's going on. Uh, the uncertainty behind everything, uh, what uh, the next steps that this administration is taking, uh, think about taking into consideration and, and doing. And uh, just everything that's going on is just, Creating this huge, huge sense of uh, of unwelcome for our for our people, and uh, and they're just afraid. Yeah, they they're afraid. Now let me ask you. You know, when you let's look, you know, when you look at the, the Latino community and, and the triangle across North Carolina, you have different um, status of folks who you well, let's say you go to the mall yeah. or go to a ball game. Yeah. Or you see thousands of Latinos. You've got folks who were born here. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, naturalized citizens. You have. Um, undocumented uh, uh, residents. You have children uh, who were born here, but their parents are yes. undocumented. So, is there? Do all do, do all Latinos families are they feeling the same sort of? Um, I don't know, fear or yeah. uncertainty, regardless of status. Yeah. Well, obviously, I can't talk about every single family, sure. but uh, from the ones that we do work for, work with, and uh, it's usually more immigrant families, um, documented, undocumented. Uh, yeah, it's it's that sense of uncertainty that really gives uh, gives into the fear that, that that these families are feeling especially when it comes to the kids you know and that's why I want to get into the the, the children and we'll come back to you but I want to ask Brenda about it Brenda your uh, role with Wake <coughs> County Public Schools is student support student yes. support services so mm -hmm. um, you're obviously aware of, of these kinds of issues that are going on and maybe how kids are feeling um, what are you what kind of support and what kind of guidance are you providing to the schools and, and how to respond? Sure, so our first priority is that we want we, our students to know that they are welcome and that we care about them and their success and our goal as a school district is to be sure that they are safe and that they are supported. So we have a number of ways that we support them. Um, one way is through our school counselors, our school social workers and school psychologists. We provide classroom counseling, group counseling as well as individual counseling and support. Um, we also um, have a very robust uh, bully prevention policy in our school district and we expect that um, incidents of bullying are, that they are reported or harassment is reported and our school, school um, leaders, our principals, they have um, resources to help them address that when that happens. Now, I, uh, we, we were talking a little bit before the, we started rolling. Um, um, you haven't really heard a lot of, uh, of I guess reports of incidents, um, uh, whether it's about Latino fans, which is what we're talking about now, but we're going to talk about LGBT students sure. We too. have not noticed an increase in rep reporting of bullying. We have noticed that our teachers are reaching out to us more and our, our student support staff at the school level are re reaching out to us more for additional support. So I think they're just aware of what's happening across the nation and the state and they want to be well prepared to support students and families. Right. Elizar, um, let's drill down a little bit more with the children. Um, I guess how are they? You know, you 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 are the youth coordinator, so you're dealing with students who are in school. Um, 
Mm -hmm. um, what's, what are they, sort of what's going through their minds right now and then sort of how does that play out with their parents? Yeah, uh, well with the, with, the, with the students, it's a mixture. Uh, we have some students who are afraid to go to school. Like uh, we had a conversation with one of the students in my interventions who literally stayed home for a couple of weeks because he was afraid. But not about school. bullying, but about um, uh, uh, yeah. enforcement action. That's what we're, we're yes. talking about, uh, just being afraid of being uh, yes. picked up, so to speak. Basically, yes. Yeah, okay. no, not, the, not the bullying part. I um, mean, there's bullying among them, but uh, most of what they're fear in is you know, losing their, their place in this country. Uh, the most of the kids that I worked with have been here since they were one, two years old. You know, uh, a, a couple of them are U.S. citizens and work here, but the parents aren't. Uh, so the U.S. citizens have that uh, fear for their families. You know, because uh, we were talking about uh, the, the the parents taking their their kids to school, uh, and there's checkpoints near schools now, and that's been a, a common issue that we're getting more uh, uh, more noise around. And uh, these kids are like, well, what about my parents? You know, what, what if we're on the way to school, there's a checkpoint for whatever reason, and uh, what happens when, when my mom has to be taken back to her country? So, what, and, and, and just so we know, uh, for our viewers who maybe don't know, when we, you were talking about kids who are, um, the, these are the children that sometimes you hear referred to as dreamers, uh, the, mm -hmm. the uh, deferred action, children who, yes. uh, immigrants who maybe their, their parents are undocumented, brought them here but as children, as babies in some cases, mm -hmm. so they've never lived anywhere else, and they may be in high school, mm -hmm. older, um, and they are kind of called in this sort of like, this is the only home I've ever known. Yes, yes, these are the kids that have DACA, the, the uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Um, but even even them, even the DACA recipients, we heard uh, from uh, from the, the memo just, just yesterday uh, that DACA recipients are not gonna be looked at into this new priority of immigration, but, uh, you know, even in, in past administrations, DACA recipients have been put under, you know, deportation processes. So yeah, DACA does give them a little bit of, of, uh, of security in, in one mm -hmm. sense, but at the same time, it's not a get out of deportation free card, you right. know. So final word from you, Brenda, what, what, else can, what can, else can we be doing, I guess, as a community, but also in the schools to, to make these children who are dealing with these mm -hmm. stresses feel safer? Sure. So um, I, one of the things that we're doing in the school district is to really focus on cu cultural proficiency for our teachers and cultural competency, um, to welcome conversations around diversity and allow space for young people to ask questions and share their unique experiences. So yeah. um, most so of us here are immigrants. So, so. so dialogue is a good thing. It's <laughs> That's always right. a good thing, right? That's right. Well, I appreciate you, but there's a lot of issues here. We, we have to get you to come back so we can drill down a little bit more, but we're going to have to go to our break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of vulnerable students and students by focusing on LGBT youth. But first, as we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer false? As of 2013, the majority of Hispanics living in North Carolina were born here in this state. Um, our next two guests have experience in supporting uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth. 
and we're going to talk to them about the issues that, uh, that they are dealing with. First, we have uh, James Miller. James is the executive director of the LGBT Center of Raleigh, a uh, LGBT support organization um, here. And Bud Harrelson. Bud is a board member with an organization called Safe Schools NC. Safe Schools is a statewide nonprofit, and you focus on uh, learning environments and making sure you have a safe and positive learning environment with a, spe uh, with a special focus on uh, gender and, and sexual orientation and those issues. So thank you both for being here. It's a it's, it's, it's perfect um, uh, topic for us to be talking about. Um, you know, in the first segment we talked about uh, children of immigrants and the reason why we sort of bring in these two groups of students together because there's so much political swirl um, going on around uh, these issues and LGBT certainly. Um, James, in your um, um, role uh, with the center, um, what are you hearing from uh, I guess the LGBT community, but specifically young people um, in terms of how they're feeling about things. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I do believe that here in Wake County we are in a small bubble. Uh, we are very well protected in many cases. Um, your last guest did very well to say that there are great policies in place for Wake County, but we can still do better. Uh, a lot of our youth are still knowing that they have uh, different risk factors in many different situations. We know that they, they need the, these pieces and this help. Um, However, they are amazing youth and they are incredibly resilient. So one of the pieces we've focused on with the LGBT Center is to empower them to make those changes for themselves. So on the ground right now, I would say LGBT individuals are doing very well, but it is also very important that we split out uh, sexual orientation from gender identity. Yeah, and you and, and I, I want to get into that. And, and we were talking before. Um, I mean, certainly things have changed um, since I was in school, since you were in school. I mean, it is, I mean, from a societal perspective, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, homosexuality is, is more uh, you know, sort of accepted in popular culture. Uh, you know, I have a teenage daughter. I mean, certainly their, their generation, they're much more comfortable mm -hmm. with these issues. But it doesn't mean that, this, that there still aren't prejudices and bias and stress. Um, kids who are maybe dealing with their friends are cool. Mm -hmm but their parents aren't, right? <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's really interesting to say that society has progressed very quickly, uh, more quickly so in uh, queer issues than probably any other uh, you know, disenfranchised group, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, but understanding, yes, there is a, a cultural divide, and youth cannot be just put into one silo because they, they live in many different situations, many different cultures. Uh, like your last guest, we can have a queer immigrant who's undocumented. Uh, that, that exists. The intersectionality between your identity is important. So I would say absolutely right now we have seen a, a, just a whirlwind effect uh, of acceptance, but that doesn't translate into older populations. It doesn't translate to individuals that might not live in an urban area. Uh, it, it's just how it is right, right. now, and we're working on it. Um, Bud, your organization that you're representing um, focuses on schools. Right. Um, so what's, um, I guess, what is your, what are you trying to do and sort of give me your take on sort of the state of, uh, I don't know, acceptance and um, uh, support within our public schools? So uh, the mission of Safe Schools NC is to support teachers and administrators um, in building their content knowledge and their awareness of the needs of LGBTQ young people, and then in such a way providing them the tools that they can um, deploy in their schools and in their districts to make schools safer or for LGBT young people. So that includes going beyond having a gay-straight alliance. It includes having um, uh, inclusive policies that address the needs of LGBTQ kids. Um, it includes um, 
thinking about instructional strategies, the trade, um, the books that we use that we, in class that are, has that have LGBTQ characters in them, that we include LGBTQ history in our courses, uh, that we. Um, think about what the policies that are in the building and making sure that they're LGBTQ inclusive, that, um, for example, that a young same-sex couple can go to the prom together um, versus um, not being allowed to do that. Um, but at the forefront at the moment is uh, the policies that need to be in place to support our transgender right. uh, We were people. talking about and that's, there is a There's definitely a distinction, and James would have alluded to it, uh, between uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual students and transgender students in terms of where we are. Right. Mm -hmm. What are, what are you, with the transgender students that you um, um, either are working with directly or are just aware of the issues, what, um, what's sort of going on there? So, it, so there's, it goes beyond just facilities and allowing uh, transgender young people to use the um, segregated uh, facility that matches, that aligns with their gender identity, but it includes honoring their gender identity throughout the day when they're at school, uh, using the name that they have indicated that they um, is their the name that they prefer, using the gender pronouns that align with their gender identity, and not questioning right. um, that, accepting that at face value, um, having their records at school reflect their gender identity, um, being able to communicate to us teachers the gender identity of the young person so they're not misgendered in that first interaction mm -hmm. with the teacher um, and the student. Um, making sure that, uh, again, that we have comprehensive bullying policies that address gender identity um, and that people are not, um, that we've created a safer space. Right. And that's, that's what, this is about the children. And that's what mm -hmm. James, I wanted to get to you. I mean, this is important for us to get right um, if for no other reason, because we want all of our children to succeed, um, regardless of what, you know, who they are. Um, and uh, LGBT youth are prone to um, uh, depression, um, more homelessness because of the getting rejected by their families. Uh, um, what, is, that's kind of, I guess, at the root of it, is just making everyone feel like that um, they're okay and, you're, and, and there's a place for you here. I think for right now, we've been working with a lot of gender nonconforming youth and trans youth to make sure that they're empowered to make those changes and that they are making policy changes uh, by themselves. I think uh, there's a, a really great, great quote that I run the center by is nothing about us without us. And that's something that right. I really feel comfortable empowering our kids to take up uh, the, the, the chain, essentially, of uh, school systems to say and self-empower yourself to make those changes. So it's really important that we make sure that they know that we're here for them, but it's also incredibly important uh, that we make sure that they are self-empowered to do it because that's just, it builds the next, you know, leadership cohort that we have. So I'm really proud of the individuals that I've seen and our youth program at the center is going gangbusters with fantastic leaders. Uh, and I really hope that we can really use those individuals to empower other youth. Right, well, I think it's, it's, it's important work. And like I said, the, um, the, the, the politics aside, whatever your position is on it, uh, this kind of dialogue I think is important, uh, which is why we wanted to have the show today, just, just to talk about it, right? And just to make sure that everyone understands sort of what the, our students are going through. So thank you, Bud. Thank you, thank you James, thank you, for James. being here. We appreciate it. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Week Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Jenna Warren, a counselor at Hilburn Academy in Raleigh. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the NC STEM Center, strategies that engage minds. I think students need to know that they have supports um, and that they don't have to figure everything out on their own. And even though I'm their school counselor, not their parent, not their teacher, I think just children hearing that they have people that believe in them really go a long way. At middle school, you don't so much see students just not getting along. There's a lot deeper issues that you want to try to help students through and help them feel like I have coping skills and I can get through this and um, that they're a good person, kind of build their confidence as well. As a school counselor, I try to connect the dots for them and help them see that the choices they're making now does impact their life later on. I can't say enough about her. She couldn't be a more supportive person to us or the kids, and she is so deserving of anything, any recognition she gets. Empathy is not a necessarily automatic gift. Uh, sometimes you have to be shown the, the right way to, to think about things from a different perspective. And I think that she does a good job in trying to bring that to our students. Times can be very difficult and a lot of times students come to school with a lot of things going on at home, just like as adults we do, but they don't have as many skills and coping strategies as, as we may have as adults. So where we're going to see the most growth in our students is when we really focus on what they want to improve on. And then they'll kind of let you in once you help them support in the way that they want to be supported, um, then we can, can grow in leaps and bounds, I think. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. When I put this episode together, I wanted it to be about our children, not about politics or policy. I suspect many of our viewers have differing views on immigration, what the law should be and how they should be enforced. I'm also sure some of you have different views on LGBT issues, including things like HB2. I think it's safe to say many of us of a certain age and older are learning a lot from our children or maybe our grandchildren and trying to absorb all the changes going on around us. But I hope today's show and guests made you think about the impact these various policy debates and actual policy implementation has on children. Today across North Carolina, we have parents afraid to take their children to school because they fear it might trigger some kind of enforcement action from immigration authorities. We have children who hear rumors and actual news stories about children having a parent taken away and deported, even if this is the only home these kids have ever known. Do your children worry when they leave for school that you might not be there when they get home? That's a very real fear among primarily Latino children in North Carolina schools today. That has to be terrifying. And how about young people growing up and confronting just typical issues about their own sexuality? And then they come to realize that it's more about their orientation, that it may be different than some of their friends. Sure, they see a lot more acceptance of homosexuality amongst their peers and in popular culture. But that doesn't mean they aren't confused or scared and not sure who they can trust. Did you know that even though LGBT youth represent an estimated 7% of the total youth population, they represent, this group represents about 40% of all young people experiencing homelessness. Why? Because in many cases their family rejected them for who they are. Now look, I don't pretend to have all the answers, 
but I am as certain that as the adults in the room, and by room I mean this country and this planet, that we have an obligation to support all our young people and help them become all they can be. I believe that starts with understanding what they are going through and doing all we can to do to support them. That's it for this week's Education Matters. Next week, we're gonna look at how our state is preparing the next generation of school leaders. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.